Hello once again and welcome to Alpha Omega International. Today we're going to be, of course, continuing our Sermon on the Mount series, but we're also going to conclude our study on the Lord's Prayer, which is found in Matthew chapter 6. As you know, last week and this week, as we consider the Lord's Prayer, we're titling these two sermons together, Look Up and Fear Not. Well, let's begin once again by reading the entire Lord's Prayer as found in Matthew 6, verse 9, and I'm actually going to read all the way to verse 15. Here's what Jesus says. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Last week we considered that very first portion of the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And Jesus teaches us at the onset of every prayer, our focus is God. It's all about God. And when we come to, before Him in prayer, we're to come to Him in a personal way, intimately, lovingly. And God wants us to call Him Father. Our Father in heaven who sits on the throne, who's in charge of all that takes place in our life. And we can trust in Him. Hallowed be your name. It's the fact that God is holy, and we must treat Him as such. We must walk humbly before Him and fear the Lord. And in that fear of the Lord, we will honor Him and desire to honor Him in our life. And now we come to the rest of the prayer. We're going to try to fill all this in in today's message. We're going to concentrate, in fact, Jesus teaches us to concentrate on four additional things in this prayer. And we're going to go over today these four things. Number one, his kingdom. Number two, his provision. Number three, his forgiveness. And number four, his victory. Okay, so let's pick up now in verse 10 and let's talk about his kingdom. Jesus says in this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is in one sense already here. It's in our hearts as the Holy Spirit abides in us. We are born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And that word, that term, phrase, born again, it means to be born from above, the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible also teaches us in the New Testament that we are already citizens of heaven. But there is another sense in which his kingdom is still coming. Though today his kingdom is here spiritually, it's in our hearts. We are citizens of that kingdom already. Soon his kingdom will be here, quite literally and physically. When? Well, we believe that soon Jesus will rapture the church out of this world and into heaven. And for seven years following will be the great tribulation, the wrath of God poured upon the earth. And after that seven years is over, as John describes in Revelation, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
will come from heaven with all the saints with him, and he will come to rule and to reign over the earth for a thousand years. And at that moment, that's what we call the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's when the kingdom of heaven will be literally here on the earth with Jesus, the King of Righteousness, ruling for 1,000 years and the saints ruling along with him. We are to live daily knowing Jesus is coming soon. And this prayer reminds us of that fact. And the same can be said every time we gather together for communion. Paul, when he teaches the Corinthians about communion, he says every time we eat of this bread and we drink of the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So every time we share communion and every time we lift our voices to God in prayer, we're always reminded the Lord is coming soon. The Lord is coming again. He is coming soon. Therefore, we are to be found ready, watching, waiting. In the meantime, we are to be comforting the saints, and we are to call sinners to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that they may be saved. Your kingdom come. He also says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, heaven and earth are two very different worlds. In heaven, there are millions upon millions of angels who rush to do the will of God. He gives a command and they rush to do all that he bids them to do. It is a joy, a celebration to accomplish his will, to accomplish his words and commands. The angels adore God and they do his will. But here on the earth, man knows no such obedience as the angels do. Even among Christians, even among the church, how difficult it is sometimes for us to walk in obedience because of selfishness, our own pride, our own evil desires and passions. And even when we do want to accomplish God's will, oftentimes we are clumsy at doing it. Heaven and earth are two very different places. And there's actually a very comical story, at least it is to me, in Luke chapter 1, when Gabriel the angel came from heaven to tell Zacharias that he and his wife were going to bear a son, John the Baptist. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, when Gabriel told Zacharias of this news, Zacharias had a hard time believing it because he and his wife could have no children. And so the way Zacharias responded to this wonderful news that had come from Gabriel, Zacharias said in his doubt and disbelief, how could this be? And Gabriel looks at Zacharias and he says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I came here to tell you these good things, this, this joyous occasion, these glad tidings, this good news. And you have not believed? I think Gabriel was stunned at the lack of faith and belief in Zacharias. Here, Gabriel did nothing but the will of God, and it gave him great joy to do God's will. He believed in the command of God. He believed in what God was doing. And when he told it to a man here on earth, that man lacked faith in those words. And of course, you know the story. Gabriel made Zacharias mute until 
the day that John the Baptist came into the world. God's will. When we find it in the Bible, there are many things that God wills. One of the greatest, most important ones is that God's will is that none perish, but come to repentance, that the, that the wicked would turn and be saved, turn away from their sin and live. And whether we're thinking about our family or our friends, people that we just love so much, or look at your own neighborhood, your community, your nation, and you'll see that there are many who have not turned to Christ for salvation. God wills that they turn and live, and yet they reject Christ, and they mock God, and they are perishing. So the prayer that prays that God's will would reign in them, that they would be brought to a place of repentance and come to Christ for salvation, that the kingdom of heaven would be within them, that's the kind of prayer that pleases the heart of God and a prayer that must be made, especially knowing that Jesus is coming soon. Oh, may God stir up the people in our lives and in our communities that they would know their need for a savior and they would turn to Jesus Christ. Your kingdom come, God. Number two, we focus on his provision. Again, look at this prayer in verse 11. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. As this is a daily prayer that we are making, we trust in God daily to provide for all our needs. You know, it's a very unfortunate thing that God only hears from us sometimes when we have great needs, when we need major breakthroughs in life. You know, God wants to hear us every day. He wants to hear our call. He wants to hear our questions. He wants to hear our thanksgivings. And even in our basic needs of life, we are not to just assume it will be there tomorrow. No, tomorrow we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. Provide for even our most basic needs in life. Because God, we understand that all we have is from you. This is a principle that God taught the Israelites do you remember in the wilderness when he rained down manna from heaven? It was daily bread. And when the Israelites went out into the fields and gathered that dough early in the morning, they were to take just enough for their one family for that day and to bake that dough into bread and to eat of it. They weren't supposed to try to hoard it. They weren't supposed to try to get double just in case it doesn't show up tomorrow. They weren't supposed to open up a storehouse and start trying to store the dough. In fact, if they tried to do that, the dough would go rotten during the day. No, God wanted them to learn. Each day is a new day. And each day there are new mercies of God. Each day we find provision in Him. And so we pray today, Lord, give us our daily bread. And tomorrow we will pray the same and trust in Him to provide our every need. The Bible likens us to sheep. In the Old Testament, we're sheep. And in the New Testament, even Jesus says, He is the Good Shepherd, and we are His sheep. Do you know in everyday life, sheep have to depend on their shepherd to find green pastures, to find food 
and water. Because sheep don't know how to explore and to journey and to find these things on their own. They need to follow a shepherd. And Jesus wants us to learn the same every day to follow and to trust in him to provide for our every need. I learned this lesson of trusting in God from a little boy in the Kota Lama area of Samarang, where we do ministry for the poor and the homeless community. We go there on Thursday evenings and we teach a Sunday school class for little children. And among these kids was a boy named Flea, who I believe is around 10 years old. And one of the things we do, besides teaching the Word of God and singing songs and playing games, in the end, we also bring food. We uh, put food in bags and bring drinks and, and things like that, and we bring it to the kids so that they can eat after our service is finished, or they can take it home with them. And one time after our service was over, I gave a, a, a dinner to Flea, and I watched him tear the bag open, tear open the, the package, and just devour all the food. And he drank up every bit of the milk that we had given. He had finished that in, I would think, less than two minutes. And it was a lot of food that he ate. And I remembered the next time we went there, I wanted to make sure we brought more than just enough for each. I, if we had 15 kids, I thought, let's prepare at least 20 dinners, just in case a kid is in extra need of more food. And so one time we went, we did the lesson, and we had extra food when we passed it all around. And I saw Flea once again devour his food and drink his milk. And I let Flea know, we've got more for you if you want it. And he was a little shocked and he said, there's more? I said, yeah, there's more and it's just for you. Are you still hungry? But he had something else in mind. He told me that outside the church building, down the streets in the shadows of the night, there are other people who need food. And so he asked me if he can take the extra food and bring it, out, bring it out to the children and their moms that are in the streets. And I was so impressed by that. And I, I gave him some extra bags and I took some myself and I went and followed him. And sure enough, he knew where to find other children his age who needed food that night and other moms of those children who also needed something to eat for the night. Flea took nothing for himself. And it reminded me a lesson this little child was teaching me that daily the Lord provides for our need. Flea could have taken two portions. He could have eaten his portion and taken the other one to wherever he's going to go during that night. And just in case he's hungry, the next morning he has some more food. Instead, Flea gave it away. And I couldn't help but think, Flea knows what it's like to trust in the Lord daily. He knows what it's like to wake up each day and say, God, give me today my daily bread. And I was so proud of Flea. We can learn a lesson from a child like Flea to trust in God for our daily needs. Amen. Number three, we consider God's forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness. Again, this is a daily prayer. And so Jesus teaches us that asking for God's forgiveness should be a daily process. Why? Because we sin on a daily basis, whether it's in our actions or our words, our thoughts or our attitudes. We are in constant need of forgiveness. Our prayer starts 
again, with its focus on God and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we consider God, His holiness, His goodness, His love, immediately we become more aware of our own failures and shortfalls and sins in life. But the Lord here, He comforts us. And He says that we should say to God, forgive us our debts. That's it. Simply say, forgive us. We don't have to do a performance. We don't have to perform tricks. We don't have to do anything to deserve this gracious forgiveness from God. It's a simple request. And the Lord is faithful to forgive those who confess their sins to Him. And Jesus goes on to say this, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us of our sins as we are forgiving those who sin against us. As we forgive. You notice how Jesus is assuming that this is a part of our life, that not only do we seek forgiveness, but as a Christian, we are forgiving those who sin against us as we forgive. Just like we talked about in the beginning of this message of look up and fear not, Jesus doesn't say, if you give a charitable thing. He says, when you give. He doesn't say, if you pray, but when you pray and when you fast. And when it comes to forgiving others, it's as we forgive. Jesus expects us as Christians, uh, as those who know what it's like to sin against a wonderful, most holy God and need forgiveness and mercy. Now he's expecting us to show the same forgiveness and mercy to those who sin against us. If we don't forgive others, then something is lacking in our understanding of sin. Something's lacking in our understanding of the mercy God has shown us and the patience He shows us. But I do believe that the more we spend time in prayer and focusing on God, His second coming, His daily provisions in our own life, the more we concentrate on God, this is when we now begin to learn how to forgive others. When we seek God and when we know Him more, we become more like Him and we treat others the way He treats us. Same compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. But Jesus does warn. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. What a, what a wonderful feeling that is to be forgiven. But, He says, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Imagine Imagine not sensing the healing forgiveness of God. Imagine we come to God in prayer and we know we've sinned against Him and we confess it to Him and ask Him to forgive us. Imagine what it would feel like if we don't feel that healing sense of the forgiveness of God in our own life. Oh, what a place of horror that would be. And so let us enjoy the forgiveness of God as we are forgiving those who sin against us. Amen. And now, number four, we talk about, close in this prayer, His victory. Number four, His victory. Here's how the prayer ends in verse 13. 
and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Bible teaches us God does not tempt us. He's not in heaven trying to think of ways to get us to sin. Temptation, however, is what Satan does. He wants to use temptation to cause us to sin and for that sin to destroy our lives. On the other hand, God does test us. It's to show us what is truly in our heart. And the test that God may put us through, it's not to burn us. It's not to hurt us. It's to refine us and purify us and to strengthen us and increase our faith in Him. It's as simple as taking an exam. Any student who is studying a certain subject in school, when he's done all of his reading and studying and work, there comes time for a test, to test what is truly in the mind of that student. Has he or she grasped and understood what he has been taught? And so God will send us through times of testing. We are to ask God not to lead us into temptation. But that doesn't mean God won't lead us to be tempted. Do you remember the story of Jesus after his baptism in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1? After Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him, it then says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into a battleground, the wilderness, where he fasted and had to confront Satan on several occasions, where he would go to be tempted by him. God may lead us into the battlefield to face Satan's assaults. We are allowed to pray and say, God, I'd rather not. <laughs> Nevertheless, we are encouraged here by Jesus, the one who faced endless assaults from the devil. We are encouraged to stand firm in our faith, humbled in our walk and in our reverence before God, filled with His Spirit, and be encouraged that God makes the way of victory in every battle that we go through. Every test that He sends us into, if we trust in God, He provides the victory. If God leads us to that place, the battlefield with Satan, God also provides the way of victory. And that's what God wants to demonstrate in our lives, that He is a mighty deliverer. Amen. And the prayer ends like this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now some say, scholars at least say, that this last phrase, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, there are many that don't believe this was a part of the original text of Scripture, that somehow it was added in later on. But even if it doesn't belong in the Lord's Prayer, at least in the book of Matthew, these last words, we do find them exactly as they appear in the everlasting songs that we will sing in heaven. For example, 
for yours is the kingdom. You know, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it is a picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he comes as king of kings to rule over the world. And in Revelation 11, verse 15, the worship of King Jesus goes like this. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. For yours is the kingdom. Amen. And also, in Revelation, in chapter 5, we see the never-ending worship of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who's called the Lamb in Revelation. Listen to what it says. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Praise God. When we declare, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, we are by faith proclaiming that the battle is won and God is the victory. The victory belongs to our God and his victory is forever and ever. His kingdom, his power, his glory is forever. And to that we say, Amen. And all the hosts of heaven say, Amen. Praise God. Oh, I pray that this study from the Lord's Prayer has given you faith. And it, I, I pray that it has taught you and encourages you now to seek the Lord in prayer. To pray this prayer, speaking face to face with God. And I pray that as you pray the elements of the Lord's Prayer, that you will learn to look up and fear not. Amen. Thanks for joining today, and God bless you.